a recent uh, survey came out that is part of the Ga ongoing Gallup poll that Gallup has been conducting, a Gallup group has been conducting a, a research poll for about three years, cataloging how people are acting since the pandemic and, and how churches are changing uh, since the pandemic. And they issued their report just a week or so ago. Uh, most recent report shows that uh, attendance at church has not picked up back up to the pre-pandemic levels, to the 2019 levels. Now, statistically, by percentages, it's not a great deal off. We're talking about roughly 4% different. So roughly among Protestants and Roman Catholics, about 4% less have returned to church and are in church attendance as were before the pandemic. Now, the question is, though, why is that? And they don't, they don't really know. Uh, they don't know if some folks have fallen away, others have changed churches, some are just not coming back, more are online, they don't really know. But nevertheless, in-person attendance is off since before the pandemic. Now, the interesting thing is for Southern Baptists, of which we are part of that denomination, for Southern Baptists, attendance is up uh, rather than down. Across the board, Southern Baptists are enjoying upticks in attendance in, in nearly all of our churches uh, across America and even the world. That's the good news. The other news is Southern Baptist membership is down. In fact, we have by over 400,000 less members now than we did before the pandemic across the denomination. Now, for a 14 million member denomination, that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but nevertheless, it's a striking trend that seems to be continuing. Why is this the case? We don't really know. There could be a lot of reasons for that. Now, I'll pause here. Even as I said all that about percentages and statistics, I didn't use that to make a this is good news, this is bad news point. I used that to make a different point. Do you notice how we weigh our participation in church by attendance? And we do that all the time. I want you to tuck something away this morning and just, just hold on to it throughout the message this morning. And, and here it is. Church is not what you attend. Church is who you are. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've answered the call of Christ to follow Christ, church is not what you attend. Church is who you are. We would listen to statistics like that and we would, we would say, and rightfully so, well, maybe they, those, those Christians that are not back in church they need to, to examine their priorities. And I, and I would agree with that to some extent. But, but here's the thing. See, church is not about our priorities. If we measure it by attendance, it becomes about our priorities. Church, biblically, is not about our priorities. It's about our identity. Church is not what we attend. It's who we are. As we return in our series this morning, we've been out a few weeks, we're returning to the book of 1 Peter. If you have your Bible, pick it up. Find with me 1 Peter, this time chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off several weeks ago. Uh, as we're going there, let me remind you who Peter is talking to and what he's talking about. Uh, remember that he's written this letter to believers that have been displaced by persecution in the Roman Empire. These particular believers have fled to multiple regions throughout Asia Minor. So they're dealing with things in the first century they've never had to deal with before. And some of the questions he's answering uh, address these questions and issues, these uncertainties. And one of those is, can God, is God with me if I leave my home? 
Is God still there? Am I still part of the body of Christ and the church? And, and what does it mean if the church is displaced and we don't get to worship with the same people if we're, if we're not in the same congregation or the same city or the same location? Are we still the church? And we've seen that he talks first and foremost about our relationship with Christ, our resurrection is in Christ, that, we, that every believer, our identity is in Christ. And as we, a few weeks ago, started chapter 2, we went to chapter 2 and verse 8 in which he distinguishes between believers in Christ who embrace the cornerstone of God's church, the, the foundation stone of God's people, he contrasted those with unbelievers who have rejected Christ, the cornerstone. That To them, Christ is a stumbling block, and, and they're not in favor at all uh, of Christ and of Christians and of what we teach and of the Word of God. And they, they stumble over that, Peter said. Well, today we're going to see as we go back into the Word of God and we pick up at chapter 2 and verse 9, he shifts his attention back to those Christians in exile, those Christians far away from home, and reminds them that it, 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 where you are does not change who you are. You are God's people. And he's going to reinforce that for them and for us today. And I'm glad he's doing this because, to be honest, folks, I think a lot of times we don't even grasp what it means to be the church. We still envision church as a lot of activities and a lot of attendance, not our identity and who we are. But when you came to faith in Christ... You became one among the people of God and your identity changed where God is concerned. So look at this with me. First uh, Peter chapter 2, we're going to pick up at verse 9. As Peter continues, this is what he says. But you, that is in contrast to a world apart from Christ, in contrast to those who have rejected Christ, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is a pivot point for Peter in the book, and from this point forward, He's going to apply what it means to be the people of God, how it is to live as God's people in a hostile generation and in a hostile world. But in this turning point, he's reminding us church is not what we attend, it's who we are. It's, it's not just our priority, it's absolutely our identity. And we want to see what that means, and he shapes it in these contrasts. They're, they're actually pivot points in these two verses that let us know he's contrasting unbelievers, those apart from Christ, those not in the church, with those who are in the church, those who are the people of God. Now, I need to press here for just a moment our understanding of what I am saying when I say the church. And coming out of Peter, what he means. We are a fellowship called the First Baptist Church of Shalot. More literally, the First Baptist Assembly. In Shalot, that's what the word church in the Bible means, an assembly of people gathered in a place. We are a local church. So what Peter's talking about is the, capital T, church, capital C. Every believer in Christ belongs to the church. No matter where they are, no matter where we are, we belong to the church. Our local church is this church, but we are all part of the church, if we are saved 
followers of Christ. That's what we mean by the church. And we're going to see he applies this to the people of God in contrast to the people who are not the people of God. And we saw these pivot words as we went along. I pointed out the first of those, but you, it's a pivot phrase, lets us know there's a distinction, there's a contrast. We'll see the others as we move forward. So this morning, I want us to focus in on these contrasts to help us understand our identity. How are we different from the rest of the world? How is the church different from another organization? When you joined the First Baptist Church, was that anything different from joining the Rotarians, uh, from joining any social club? Was it, was it anything different? And if so, what is different? What's the contrast? So let's look at that for just a few minutes. I want you to look at these three contrasts. The first one is, it contrasts us with who we are. I've already said it, our identity. Our identity. Uh, in this passage, Peter calls up his knowledge of his Hebrew Bible, which we call our Old Testament. And he calls from that identifying characteristics of the people of God, then applied to Israel. Uh, Peter, under the inspiration of God and in his brilliance, uh, says what's extraordinary for a Jewish man of the first century. He says, we are now the completion of God's people. He doesn't negate the significance of Israel, but he sees what all Christians of the first century began to see and what we need to grasp, that we are God's people. We are the completion of God's plan and his people. So Peter uses significant Old Testament phrases and identifiers that previously were just applied to Israel, and he applies them to God's people today in his time and today. He says, first of all, you are a chosen race as we read it, a chosen race. Now, the term translated chosen sometimes is translated elect in some English Bibles. It refers to those people that God has called out to be his people. They are different from the rest of the world. It's the first identifying mark that God came to us and God chose us out. And when you responded to God's call to follow Christ, God was calling you out, choosing you. And you had to respond to him. That's your responsibility. But nevertheless, God put it on your heart to follow Christ. And when you trusted Christ as your Savior, repented of your sins, and he saved you by grace, you became part of this chosen race. This also elevates the people of God. Not, not that we're better than other people, but now we understand that while apart from Christ... There are multiple races. Once we are in the church, once we are in Christ, there is but one people, one race. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has everything to do with your spiritual condition. Humanity, human race. God is redeeming those and bringing them into the church. So we are a chosen race. God's people. A royal priesthood, he says. Not just a priesthood. But notice, a royal priesthood. What's the purpose of a priesthood? You know, we learn in the Bible that once Christ came, uh, he is the one mediator between God and us. And the Bible teaches us that we are actually priests before God. Every, every believer is, I'm not your priest, I'm your pastor. And the reason for that is what we call uh, the priesthood of every believer. That is, you are, you're, you're responsible for your relationship with God, not me. 
And you can come directly to, to God through Jesus Christ. You don't need, need me to do it for you. You can come directly to God through Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? So how is it that we are God's, the church, God's people, is God's royal priesthood? Well, in that sense, we are God's go-between between the lost and dying world and heaven itself. And we are also the servants of God at the throne of God. We are his royal priesthood. We are the ones who serve the almighty king of all creation. You get to participate in that as the people of God. You were set out for that. To mediate between this lost and dying world. To pray and plead for those who need Christ. And to serve his kingdom. That's what the church does. That's what the church is. We serve the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ on planet earth. That's a pretty high calling, isn't it? Third, he says, a holy nation. Goes along with the first two. So, so we're a people, a chosen race. We're a priesthood. We're also a nation. And not just any nation, we're a holy nation. Uh, the, right here, the, the term means set apart. We are, we are set apart for God. So here's the problem when you and I as Christians try to stay really integrated into the world and do, the thing, the, do things the world wants us to do. And when we don't distinguish between what it means to follow Christ and be the church and what it means to be outside of Christ and be the world. But here God says, you're a holy nation. You have been set apart as the church, his people. You are set apart for him. To serve him. And that brings us to the fourth identifier. A people for his own possession. Uh, previous translations said a peculiar people. That's us. In that translation, the reason they use the word peculiar in older translations. Because in that day and time it didn't mean weird. Uh, the root of... His own possession, that word, comes from the same root that means flock in the New Testament. The same word that means flock. And it gives us our English word peculiar. Doesn't give us our English word weird, just peculiar. But let's go with God's own possession. Same thing. We are owned by Almighty God. The church is his, not ours. The moment you and I start complaining about this or that in the church, and don't pretend like we don't, it's as if we think this is ours. It's not ours. It's his. And we don't belong to us. We belong to him. How do I know that? Because he bought us by the blood of Christ. This church, his people, belong to him. Set apart from the world to be his priests in a fallen and dying generation. We are his. So we do things differently, or at least we should. We come together not to measure uh, ourselves by our attendance but instead to come together as the people of God, to praise the God who has saved us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We come together to make decisions and do strange things like we'll do in a little while, nominate people called deacons. 
to serve in the body of Christ, to come alongside the pastor, to shepherd, to serve, to love. We budget our money differently. We're sacrificial and generous. We reach out and talk to people we've never met. We even ask them if we can help them proactively. We serve the world. We serve hurting people. And we do this one thing that nobody else does. We tell people that Jesus Christ is our only hope. That's who we are. Which brings me to the second contrast that Peter gives. Not only who we are, but what we do, our purpose. We have, Peter says, a particular purpose on planet Earth that that no other organization, no other institution, no one else has. Here's that second pivotal phrase. So that. But you, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We tend to think of uh, being a Christian these days as, you know, the, uh, we, we want to know the Bible, which is good. But, you know, what, what, are, what are ten ways from Scripture that I can have a, a, a better family, a better marriage? What, what are five keys and principles for money, for finances and handling my money? How can I get into the Bible and the Bible tell me how I won't suffer anymore because I'm a Christian? Oh, and my favorite, doesn't being a Christian mean that I'll be happy? And that I'll like everything other Christians do? If that's you, we've got to have a talk. That's not why you're born again in Christ. Knowing the Word of God, applying it to your life, yes, absolutely do that. But listen, what is our collective purpose as the people of God? You ready for this? To proclaim the praises of the one who called you, plural, all of us, out of spiritual death and darkness and into his marvelous light. To proclaim praises to Almighty God. To remind the world that our God is the God. The phrase proclaim praises translates into excellent virtues. Our God is always good. He is always righteous. He is our creator. He is your creator. We know him. Let us tell you how. We proclaim the praises of the one who saved us. Some of you were saved when you were old enough to remember what it was like to be in that darkness. What it was like to have your mind sullied and darkened and in in depravity and despair by sin. You remember what that was like. You remember, if you do, you remember what it was like to come to Christ and to be set free in Christ. I read recently, as it went viral, the testimony of a man named Ben Bland. Now, I I don't know his whole story. Tried to find it. Evidently, this one testimony It's on YouTube, and he's speaking at a church, and it's in writing on Facebook. It just caught fire. He was a practicing homosexual, very, very active in that lifestyle, hated anyone who was not, and five years ago, he came to faith in Christ. Extraordinary testimony. And he says the core of it is God set him free. And now he knows who he was meant to be as a man in Christ. 
See, when you proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, you are proclaiming the excellent virtues of our creator. You're reminding people that God created you. God knows you. Yes, we live in a fallen world. and Sometimes we get confused about things like gender, biology, identity, but God answers those questions. God knows who you are. God created you. He is your creator. And what he did for me, he will do for you if you'll answer the call of Christ. I think you'll agree with me, the world is in darkness. Desperate spiritual darkness. Minds clouded by sin and Satan. Desperately in need of the truth. So who's going to tell them the truth? And more to the point, who's going to live out the truth in front of them? Whose lifestyle is going to demonstrate that God changes people? Who could that be? Well, that's us. That's us. A lot of times we think of salvation as signing a card and, and we get baptized, good for you, and off we go and it becomes church attendance. Next time you think about your salvation, think about it this way. He saved you from darkness. You were wandering in the midst of sin and death and he called you out into not just light, but his marvelous light. The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves us. The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ pierced into the darkness of the world and you and I get to tell people about that. In the bigger picture though, Peter doesn't just mean telling people about the gospel. He means the church on earth itself is a proclamation of the excellent virtues of Almighty God. The very fact that we gather together as a new nation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, this gathering of people and dispersing into the world is itself a proclamation that God is real, that God saves, that our creator cares for us and he could change you. That's why we got to remember our identity, who we are. That's why it's important we don't fall into the notion that church is all about attendance and, and, and all about committees. No, no, we are God's people to proclaim his praises in this world. And if we don't do it, who's going to do it? Who's going to say, you know, he changed my life and he can do that for you? Who we are, Peter says, much different from those who turn their backs on Christ. It's our identity. What we do, much, much different from those outside the body of Christ. We proclaim his praises. And then why we do it. Why we do it? We've got our identity, we've got our purpose, here's our privilege. Peter says you do this because you recognize what he's done for you. Verse 10, once you were not a people, here's that, that third pivot, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You thought you belonged. You notice how people in, in, in our culture everywhere all the time are trying to belong. <laughs> they're trying to be a people. They're trying to be a group. And, and they're trying to belong somewhere. And they get on social media or they, uh, or they get together. And they're trying to belong, desperate to be, desperately to, to belong. And Peter says, apart from Christ, you are not a people. Because you're not connected to your God. And once that was you. Once that was you, that was me. And in that time, we did not have his mercy. Or as Paul would put it in Ephesians, we were dead 
in our trespasses and sins. And then we realized, we answered his call, we came to Christ, and we received his mercy. There are only two kinds of people in the world, just two. Those in the darkness and those in the light. And those of us who are in the light, those of us who responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, those of us who know that we are saved in Christ, we didn't do that by our merit. You didn't earn that. I didn't earn that. We got here by his mercy. You know, it was interesting when I woke up this morning, and a lot of times I'll kind of rumble around and I'm, and I'm praying. You know what verse the Lord brought to my mind? His mercies are new every day. Isn't that good news? Did you mess up this week? Did you have a bad week? Did you turn your back on God? You hadn't been in the Word of God, hadn't been praying much. Maybe you overtly sinned and you know it and you're still trying to hide it. You know what the good news is? God is merciful. Confess it to Him. He is merciful. And you're not hiding anything from Him. Remember, you're out in the light now. Just agree with Him. Because He is a merciful God. And we declare and proclaim the praises of our God. Uh, late last year, the American Customer Satisfaction Index put out their findings on the most on the, the, the favorite fast food restaurant for Americans. And this has been America's favorite fast food restaurant on the index for eight years in a row. Somebody guess. They said with one accord. <laughs> Gotta love that Christian chicken. Chick-fil-A. And the thing we all like about, and we like their chicken, right? But the thing that is attractive about Chick-fil-A, let's be honest, is not only the chicken, it's the culture. See, when Truett Cathy started Chick-fil-A, he didn't want a fast food restaurant that served chicken like any other. And he had the objective of having the only fast food restaurant based on serving chicken, and at the time, that, that's what he did. But he wanted a fast food restaurant with a particular Christian culture. He wanted the, the, the restaurant to stand out. To, to, that people could worship on Sundays, so they close on Sundays. He didn't want it to be like McDonald's, Hardee's. Even in culture, he wanted it to be different. He wanted it to be that restaurant that even closing on Sunday is still the favorite restaurant of every American in the world with nearly 3,000 stores Every one of them closed on Sunday. And in every one of them, when you order your chicken and you pay your money and you, when they give you the change and you say thank you, they say, my pleasure. You get the, the, the feeling that they genuinely like serving you and you know it's different church how are we doing are we like any other organization on planet earth or are we the church and do people know 
we love them. The people know we are here to proclaim the praises of the one who came to us, chose us, saved us, called us out for him. Is it different when they meet you, when they meet me? Is it different when they encounter the First Baptist Church of Shalot, or is it just like any other organization? Our culture should be the culture of the called. Our culture should be the culture of the people of God. The ones who say, that's why I'm still here. To be a part of the people of God. To reach the lost for my generation. To do what can happen nowhere else on planet earth. Nowhere else on planet earth. No other religion. No other faith. No job. No organization. No social club. Calls people out of darkness into God's marvelous light. That's because of Christ. And we are here to let people know about it. How are we doing? How are we doing? In a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And first of all, I'm going to pray for those of us who needed to be reminded this morning, maybe what you tuned into the most was that God is merciful. And he is merciful to you. If you've turned your back on him, if you've sinned, if you've fallen, if you've failed, or if you're just struggling with life right now, remember, your God is a merciful creator. He is your God. He's come to you in Christ. And I'm going to pray for you. It could be you're a believer in here. This is the second thing. And it just clicked with you. What it really means to be a part of the people of God. That wherever you are, that's who you are. Whatever you're doing, that's who you are. And, and let God search your heart about how you're doing as being part of the body of Christ, as part of the people of God. And Maybe there's some changes you need to make. Maybe a fresh commitment to Christ. Maybe you need to follow through in a commitment he's been leading you to make. Maybe it's just you need to shed some things in your life so you can focus on being part of God's people and doing what he's called you to do. And then third, if you're in this room or you're at home and you've never answered the call of Christ to follow Christ, to trust him as your Savior, I want to invite you to do that as well in just a minute. And I'm going to pray a very simple prayer out loud with you to put your faith and trust in Christ, to make that decision to grasp God's mercy, accept his mercy, so that today is the day you move from darkness, spiritual darkness, to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see the truth of who you are and who he is. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Heavenly Father, we are in this place today as the people of God, not just members at First Baptist Church, not just attenders at First Baptist Church. We are here as the people of God, the saved in Christ, the called of Christ. God, first of all, I pray for all of us, Father, those that have struggled and stumbled and maybe we've got dents, we've been bent a bit along the way this week. We failed you, we've sinned. God, we plead for your mercy today and we thank you for your mercy, God, that you are merciful to us today just as you were the day you saved us. And Father, I pray for that one who needs to be reminded, needs to be cleansed, needs to be forgiven, needs to start over today, that by faith they would trust again your mercy. And you would cleanse us, you would forgive us, God. You would help us start over today. I pray for that Christian, Father, here or at home. And maybe we've been doing life our way. Maybe we've seen church as just a matter of attendance and showing up as a priority to check off the list. God, forgive us for that. And Father, I pray that we've grasped today that that the people of God, this is our identity.
Show us, Father, what we need to do. Show us what we need to change. So in the time that we have, we can better serve Christ as part of your people as you've called us to be. And God, I pray for that one that's never trusted Christ as their Savior. And God, I pray today would be the day that by faith, they would answer the call to follow Christ. I pray this prayer out loud for that one who's in this room or at home that would trust Christ for the first time today, that they would pray this by faith in their hearts to you. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. As Jesus, I have tried. I've attended church. I've tried to be good, but I know that I've not changed. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and that you're alive today. So Jesus, by faith, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. And today I commit to following Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Heavenly Father, bless us in these decisions and in this time of response coming up that all that we do would honor Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.